Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Relative Pitch. We are so, so, so excited to have two uh, gentlemen here joining with us. Um, we'll have Christopher Song and Weston Lewis here um, today on our episode. So first, Chris, Weston, how are you doing? Um, I know both of y'all are athletic bands some way with both of your big schools. How is that going? Uh, really good. <laughs> yeah, just can't get I uh, got off of a big win last night. So go Tigers. We're really excited about it. Um, I literally this we're recording this on uh, November 6th. And I, I literally just came back from Kansas yesterday. I was in Manhattan, Kansas yesterday for UT versus K-State. So it's uh, tired is a good way to put it, I think. <laughs> but things are good. Things are good. Oh, my gosh. Uh the life of being back in school and dealing with athletic bands and all of that. Oh my gosh. What time? Let's see which one wins. So Chris, what time <laughs> was the game over for you um, last night? Well, we went into overtime. So that was a thing. Um, I, I want to say we got done with the, the night around uh, the game around maybe 10 PM and then, you know, get, getting back to the band hall and cleaning up. I, I got back. I, Oh, I also, with my assistantship duties um, at the beginning of the year, we all sign up for who's going to close up the, the building at the end of the night. And I um, was assigned that duty for, for last night. So I got home at about midnight. Uh, yeah, I would not be awake. Right, I would not. Uh, Weston, what about you? I think the game last night ended up wrapping up at like ten or ten thirty, um, and then we fly out right after the game. So we got into the bus, and then we, I, well, you know, <laughs> we got into the bus, and then we we went to the airport, and there was like some, there was it was just all a thing. So I I think we our flight ended up taking off around midnight. Well, around like 12, I remember at 12, 15, I was doing my Duolingo for the day. And then that's the time I remember. <laughs> uh, and then the flight took off. And I basically, I got back home to my apartment at uh, 3 a.m. Um, yeah. So. Are you awake? Right. Yeah. Are you like, for anybody's listening, so we filmed this at one o'clock Eastern <laughs> time. So you are an entire hour behind us right now. Um, so you have what five, six hours of sleep going? Uh, a, a solid probably six or seven. Because I woke up at like I woke up, I slept in late. I'll just tell on myself. I woke up at like eleven today. Um, yeah. and we have a wind ensemble concert later too, so it's yes, grind up stop. Hashtag grind up stop. Go y'all! I'm so happy for y'all. I love that for y'all. <laughs> the grind be stopping over here sometimes. <laughs> We just lift that park and break up. We just like, oh. <laughs> so, um, I want to hear from both of you. You know, where where are you from? Um, where did have you taught? Where have you taught? And how did you get to your positions first? So, Chris, I'm gonna start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so, I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. That's home for me. Um, and uh, I went. Uh, did my undergrad at the University of Houston. That's actually where I met Weston, um, where our friendship started. Um, graduated, uh, decided to become a band director. So I got a middle school band directing job um, in a suburb of Southwest Houston, um, Fort Bend Independent School District. Um, did uh, 
band directing for six years. During that time, I found a really unique master's program um, that I could do over the summers. So that was at University of Michigan. I did a master's in music education there. Um, that was really monumental for me um, and really transformed my perspective. It got me to be a critical thinker um, and it opened my eyes to some of the issues that I'm really excited about today. Mm -hmm. um, and then through that experience and a lot of encouragement from my mentors, um, the prospect of getting a PhD, um, I, I didn't really consider myself a, a doctorate type of person, but just through the encouragement of people that I really care about in my life pushed me to, um, to pursue that. And so, which brought me to LSU where I'm in my second year right now, getting a PhD in music education. Um, and, uh, I feel so grateful to have, um, the opportunity to take great classes that really tap into my own interests and what I, um, want to learn more about and, and grow in and just having great colleagues and mentors around me. So it's, it's been a good ride so far. We're going to come back to a couple of those things in that later on today. So Wes, what about you? How is your journey? Um, so I'm from Houston, uh, also born and raised in Houston. Um, I did my undergrad at the University of Houston, and that's where I met my, my good friend Chris there. Uh, and uh, after after that, um, I taught for five years in actually North Houston, um, Spring, Klein area. So I taught at, at Klein Oak High School for five years. Um, I'm, I'm no, I'm sorry. I'm in my head. I'm thinking. I'm adding two plus two equals fish. Like I'm. Just oh, okay, fair enough. I saw you, and I was like, "Oh, we got some." Oh, uh, <laughs> but I taught at uh, Klein Oak High School um, up in Spring, Texas, and then after that, um, in my fifth year, I was I, I I went to the Michigan Conducting Workshop. There, I met uh, a friend that was studying at LSU, Mark Bonner, and he was like, "Man, you got to check out LSU." Um, you, you just got to check it out. And, and then I went and visited and I met, I met Damon Talley, who was like brilliant and he's like an amazing human. And there I, I got to know him. And then I ended up going to LSU for my master's in conducting. Um, and then I, I knew I wanted to go on and do my DMA. So I ended up getting into Texas, um, uh, University of Texas at Austin. Um, so that's where I'm at now. I'm in my second year of my DMA and when conducting, um, and it is just a hoot and a half. I have a good time. So I really enjoy it. So just grateful to be where I'm at, you know. Wow. Both of y'all's journeys. And it's funny that y'all like met in undergrad and now y'all are like, you know, in your doctorate degrees right now. Uh, it's kind of similar to our little path that we have going on here at Relative Pitch. We all met in undergrad as well. So for anybody that's listening that's currently an undergrad, your undergrad friendships, they will last a lifetime, okay? They will last a lifetime. So really mm -hmm. choose those uh, moments that you have. So I was very interested um, when I saw both of your names um, on one of the sessions that is coming up at Midwest. And I just want to say congratulations on um, being one of the ones to present this year. So congratulations to you two. 
Can you just give us a synopsis before we dive into it, just about your session and why you came up with the name, which I love, by the way. So just give us a little bit about it. Uh, you mind if I jump in on this? Because it's actually kind yeah. of, this clinic is kind of a weird story. Uh, and I'll tell you the truthful story here, because we were actually planning a different clinic. We were we were on the phone. I was driving back from Austin, and we were planning like a completely different clinic, which will actually end up pre be presenting at TMEA. It was an odd twist of things. But then at the end of that like planning call, I was like, "Hey, man, like I had this other idea for a clinic. You want to talk about it really quick?" And he and Chris was like, "Sure." And it came from like when when it comes to topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, access. I I feel like or I felt like at at some points they would become really one dimensional where people would talk about, you know, like, um, not to give too much away, but people would talk about like, you know, my group is really diverse. we got a bunch of different colors. And it's like, it's just like cringy to think about, but it's also like, okay, some people actually feel that way. There's people that like feel that, or we've heard that both in our careers where, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and access boils down to these things that end up being these myths that kind of fuel how we think about the concept. Um, so, we kind of had the idea to like, want to unpack those and just kind of talk about how they may have come into existence or, or, you know, the, the, what the ideas were, and then either say like, well, that's fairly accurate or no, that's not accurate at all. For instance, in that case, diversity is much deeper than just race. It's much deeper than just color. There's a wide tapestry of things that diversity is. So we kind of just started talking about that. And I, I think, uh, we kind of got into it. I don't know, Chris, what's up, man? Well, what's funny is Weston came up with that name, Mythbusters, and it seemed like he just wanted to have some kind of gimmick or some kind of hook to get uh, listeners or audience members in. But it kind of really gave us a really great way to organize uh, the talk and the presentation. Um, through our planning, we just kind of through our career and experiences, just some of the, the assumptions and myths that we heard on a regular basis um, revolving around uh, diverse programming and trying to recognize diversity in your in your classrooms. And so recognize that there, there, there are a lot of kind of narrow mindsets. They're kind of short-sighted mindsets uh, when people try to address uh, DEI within their programs. And so we came up with with five uh, just central assumptions that we've seen on and heard on a regular basis. And that's how we organized our talk. And um, it's really great. Weston brings in an expertise based on his just knowledge of the wind band, the literature and his experiences as a conductor. And then um, I like to bring in um, my own experiences in just reading the literature on culturally responsive teaching and and critical pedagogy um, and things like that. And so I, I feel like we it's a fun little back and forth that we've created between between Watson and I in this presentation. So I think um, over time in the past couple of years, the DEI, whenever whenever people hear that, it's somehow kind of become diluted because it's like on everybody's tongue or or um the ones that that are you know think one thing like oh my program is diverse because I have this many colors 
they see it as, oh, that's just, I have to check this off because this is what my district requires, or this is what this requires. Um, and which you kind of mentioned that in y'all's um, session. So how, what are your advice to combat that for, for people who are only doing things by checking it off because they feel like they have to? That's a really good question. Um, my my number one thought, um, the first thing that came to my mind was, I mean, like our students and then the composers who we pick for our students and the like, the conductors, the guest artists, all they're people. Like I think at the at the at the at the root of everything that we talk about, it's like really it's it's student centered. Everything we do is student like everything that I think we kind of push towards. And Chris, you can. You can, I think you can correct me if I'm misspeaking here about what we talk about, but it's, it's student-centered. It's, it's, are you creating the best experience for your students? And, and to do that, you need to know your students. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at someone and you say, well, or even if you look at like a composer, like you take from, from, for that sense, if you look at a composer and say, well, I just need a, a, a black composer and I just got to put that, I got to put that in the program somewhere. You're not really looking at them as a person. You're looking at them as a thing. You're kind of like this, I just need this thing and I'll get that thing. As opposed to, you know, I really like this person's voice or I know my students have this specific voice and I really want to either enhance that or program something that contrasts that, mm-hmm. you know, then you're, you're thinking about them more from an educational experience. You're thinking about it more from a like a personal growth standpoint and less so than, a, well, I just got to get this knocked out because they say that knocked out. There's a real danger to, to not do that. Because it's, it. The, I mean, I think our brains are programmed to kind of go with what we know and what we know a lot of times is what we see. Like you see me and you, you look at me and there's instant thoughts that come into your mind for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but going past that is kind of the step that we have to take to not only be happy in our programs, but like to be happy in life, I think. Yeah, and I think um, just to go off of that, in that situation where teachers are just going off of that checklist, you are then objectifying um, your students, you're objectifying the content in the curriculum. Um, and that's a big, that's a big kind of uh, deep, dark path that you might go down and just treating things like objects. And once you start treating things, things like objects, um, things like more ego and arrogance comes into the conversation about what your actual priorities are, what your purpose is behind uh, your program in your classroom. I, I think if you ask any educator, they they are all about the human aspect of teaching and the human aspect of music. But I think sometimes people's perspectives get clouded by the sense of wanting to gain some kind of recognition um, for what they do. And that really clouds their judgment, clouds their decision-making process, and they're making decisions based off of what other people view them as rather than what they inherently value within themselves. Yeah. Can I just say, now that we're on this topic, talking about conferences and presentations and ego and like authority and all that, um, just this is a conversation we've had on here a lot. I think that DEI becoming uh, like becoming buzzwords in the past few years has ruined the conversation about it for the majority, because I would have to say 
probably at least 80% of the conversations that surround it are one dimensional and they're done by people who have zero authority talking about it. And it's unfortunate because whenever you do have conversations on it that are actually meaningful, there are some people who are just like, I'm just so tired of going to the same presentation by the same type of people saying the same types of things that no one wants to hear anymore. We're like actually tired of talking about it. And I even feel like because my 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 dissertation and the work that I'm doing is DEI centric. But I almost want to gag saying it because I'm kind of like, I don't even want to say it anymore because I just feel like people, there's like a layer of like glaze that goes over someone's eye when you say DEI now and something that I've been running into a lot especially in my now my doctoral studies is bumping into people who will want my opinion on like should i be talking about this like do you think this is a topic that i have i'm like if you're asking me you probably shouldn't be talking about it like if you already like are coming to me being like i need your opinion on if i should be talking about this topic babe don't talk about it then maybe leave it to somebody who actually has the authority to talk on it because that's that's my biggest issue it's just coming it's just a over cluttered um, field now with people who should maybe take a step back and listen to conversations that actually are speaking of anything of importance. Um, so, and I, what going off of that into what your presentation actually is, is that with talking about things and pulling the rug up, if you want to say comes new assumptions, biases, and all these things that are created around the conversation due to all these presentations that and uh, research that's happening in the field. So I think it's really important to address the assumptions and biases surrounding because every single looking at your the PDF of your presentation, I've heard all of these things. And there are people who will say that like with their chest and die on that hill. So I, I appreciate this um, this look on it. Can I, can I add on really quick to what you just said? Because it actually creates another issue too that I think Chris and I both went, both went through. I don't know if any of y'all have experienced this, but I'm just gonna be honest um, because you just dropped some real stuff and I was like, man. So, so, but like the same, the thing that also that amount of delusion does or dilution does is like, it starts to make you question a little bit. Like I remember getting accepted to this clinic. I was like, are we getting accepted because this is like a really, really good topic or are we getting accepted because it's the hot button thing right now? In which case, I don't know, it, it's, it's a, it's something that we should like, it, it requires really deep thought and it, I don't know, it, it almost makes you feel kind of like, am I really doing this? It was a very strange feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of a lot of what we talk about and what we're addressing and what we're trying to recognize and be aware of is systems that are in place that might be advantaging or disadvantaging. And, and so, um, you know, anytime somebody from a underrepresented or marginalized population is given an opportunity, my my feeling is we take that opportunity. Like since we're we've been accepted to this clinic, we get we get this platform, we get this audience. Um, even if the system is is in whatever system is in place that might be um, giving us this opportunity might have ulterior motives. Uh, we've been giving a given a platform, and um, I, I take that as a responsibility to to utilize it well and represent the people that are misrepresented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, as Anthony would say, I'm like I'm gonna steal his line. Um, I think because we got it from somebody else. You got to get in the room 
before mm. you flip the table. Oh, Dr. William Lake. Dr. William Lake. Yeah, you got to get the room first before you can even flip a table and throw some chairs mm -hmm. and change some stuff. And that's why, like, whenever, like, like I think, I think, like, Lauren, I know Lauren and Anthony have gone through things of that. And it's like, oh, why did I get here? That Get in that room, flip the table, make it better for the people that come after you. One thing I was going to say about the repertoire and, like, uh, or the checklist stuff. I was helping out a school, like, last year and this year a little bit about repertoire selection. And they would, like, this band director sent me their repertoire for, like, the big LGPE for this next semester and they say is this diverse enough i said that's not a question like <laughs> first of all first of all do you want me to give you the thumbs up like like on the iMessage, like thumbs up like yeah you did it bro first of all like when we like i mean anthony have talked about this like i programmed a kataj copley piece because he's from georgia near where my kids live he's a composer one of the kids wants to be a composer and he's a nice guy like those three things factored into picking Kataj, factored into picking the piece I wanted to do. And I was like, in his format, like this guy's format is like, I'm going to do a T Kelly piece. I'm like, every LGB, like this is your third one. You still going to do a T Kelly piece again? <laughs> cool for you. A March and then the, the different piece, little sparkly hands. And I was like, I think we should have a conversation over coffee. Because this is not like, is this diverse enough? I give you a thumbs up. And I feel like that's what it's starting to be. Like these people are looking out. We're like, okay, I think I'm diverse enough because I did my one piece this semester. But let me ask somebody else to make sure I'm like echo chambering my program. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also what falls into some of these check in the boxes because they see their colleagues doing it. And if one whole like county does it, because in Georgia, we have these big counties sometimes. If a county starts echoing chamber at each other, then that's the whole population of those kids are just not going to get what they need to get. Mm. And echoing off of that, like, stop asking your what you consider your diverse friends if your programs and presentations are diverse enough. I'm sick of it. I am sick of, like, answering people's questions. I'm like, do you think this, like, repertoire? I'm like, it's not, like the thing it's the mindset because like for me i can do it all beethoven all mozart all haydn all whatever like program but like you already all you know what i'm about like my repertoire speaks for itself because it's not something i've done one time it's something i include the entire all from all of it and no matter where i'm playing if it's a degree recital or if it's like a side recital whatever like and that's the difference you can do an entire night of black composers and you are still I would not consider you a leader in diverse programming or I don't even want to say a leader in diverse because that sounds terrible but you know what I mean I would not consider you like that institution that program like a representative of what diverse programs should look like but I think that is a huge issue of now like especially the othering and we've talked about the othering a lot of like having that one weird spunky piece and that just happens to be the one composer <clears throat> color on your program that's not diversity mm -hmm. whatsoever i don't know what it is it's not even inclusion it's definitely not equity so it's just it's there you're not doing it it's not even a box to be checked off at that point um sorry anthony were you saying something no i i think um going back to being uh, selected for different, you know, conferences and stuff, because we were selected to do a diversity, equity, inclusion um, presentation at the Georgia Music Educator Conference. And we got placed uh, on a Friday morning at eight o'clock. And so you would think, here's a topic that, I, you know, most people should be, you know, getting 
getting some knowledge for, but you place it at a time where uh, everybody's asleep because most people are drinking during conferences. If we want to call a spade, we got to call it a full spade. So, call us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we know it's hard to get up at eight o'clock in the morning, along with, you know, going against uh, a big concert, you know, a big high school concert. Um, so it seems like you were destined to not be successful from the get-go. However, mm-hmm. like like both of you, you said, and, and it, it, really, Chris, you, you hit it on the nail, is let me take this opportunity and let me do something with this opportunity. And that's end up what we doing. That was what we did. The room was full and everything, and, and it was great. And I say for anybody else with the with this diversity, and if you are a person of color, a person of minority, and you get in these positions, go for it. Okay, go. Mm-hmm. I know how it feels. The whole the whole sentiment uh, uh, of um, not trusting yourself and really looking around like there's nobody else that looks like me, um, second guessing all that. Go for it. Go for it because you could shake up something and it's a domino effect afterwards. So open the door for somebody else behind you. And I am just so glad that you two um, is taking this opportunity to take this thing on the road. I know y'all y'all did this at Team EA and now Midwest, and then you're doing something more. So I am just glad that for you two, you're like, we're going to do this and we mm-hmm. are going to expose good information regarding this topic. Um, and I want just some of the myths that that is quite hilarious because I, I've actually um, heard it and it honestly kind of makes me a little angry. But um, one of the things, this is going to take some time. I've heard this many times. This is going to take some time. To me, when I hear that, it seems, well, are you trying Mm-mm. Do you actually care to do this? Because taking time, meaning that you, okay, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you some weeks, maybe some months to get your stuff together. But your <laughs> track of time, nothing has changed. And we've been talking about this since we started this podcast because we started this podcast 2020 when it was a mass type of you know 2020 was crazy. And all of these people were releasing these statements talking about diversity. <clears throat> and we're right. diverse. And all I remember, all three of us kept saying, we will see in three to five years if they truly meant what their statement said. Hmm. That is your time. <laughs> so what how what is your myth busters for, for that sentiment there? Real quick to tag on to Anthony. And we saw one school specifically release a diversity statement that says, maybe something by diversity should go here. Mm. If we, if you remember, <laughs> remember. And if you don't, I'll tell you after the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, on this, uh, on this myth, um, not to give too many things away, because we want people uh. to come to the conference <laughs> and <laughs> come to the talk, but um, yeah. we... One of the perspectives that I come after with this uh, with this myth is is that um, I, I re- reference Paulo Freire um, in this conversation about just the just the plight of oppressed people, um, 
people who have experienced marginalization, prejudice, uh, oppression, um, they're really fed up. Uh, and those that come from um, populations that have really experienced the the type of hate that that is really specific to their identities that they feel like nobody else seems to understand because they feel like it's only happening to them mm. um i mean they're they're fed up they're they're impatient with it so when people say this is going to take some time that is such a knife in the chest for them um so we we want change to happen right now. We we want movements that actually are meaningful and doing something to change the situations, change the 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 social outcomes that that we experience on a daily basis. But at the same time, the other side of it is people need to take educated movements forward. Because whenever you are making movements forward that are kind of hot-headed, that are knee-jerk reactions to things, um, then you you might be um, adding oppression on top of oppression, which is um, another problem in and of itself. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> we, this is the, I think this is one of the last myths that we talk about because this is the one that like, like, I think I, I personally have had the most conflict with this one actually, because like, you know, if you think about things in, in terms of like a pendulum, like I think about like most things in life in terms of a pendulum and how it swings, um, you know, the thought of it, of things taking time is incredibly frustrating because I mean, time has elapsed. It has been time. Like it has been like, it, it has been time for a long time, but in, in the inverse, like what we just, what we talked about earlier, where if you're like, well, things just got to happen now, they just need to happen now. And you got to do it. It starts to, things start to lend themselves towards box checking. Or th things could lend themselves towards, you know, voices that don't necessarily need to be the sounding off voices, being the sounding off voice just because they're the loudest voice in the room. And, and I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that that is the healthiest, the healthiest way to go about integrating diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. That mindset, integrating that into into life. So there's a little there's a little bit of conflict here with with me on that one because I. I remember during summer 2020, uh, sitting there thinking like, uh, truthfully, I was like, how do we get out of this? Like, where does this go? Mm. Like, it's not going to, it's not going to change tomorrow. Like it just won't like I, it, it's, and it's, it, there was no end in sight. I was really like a rough time. Cause I was like, this is, there's a lot going poorly. I'll just say that. <laughs> and I remember sitting there thinking about it and the reality of that situation is, those calculated and educated and conscious and considerate steps, those do take time to unfold, but we shouldn't lean on, well, it's going to take some time. as kind of like a gaslighting thing, which, which does end up happening where it's like, y'all are also excited now, but it's going to take some time. And so uh, it, it kind of, to me, it depends on the tone and it depends on the conversation that follows this is going to take some time because in one sense it can be like, so this person is gaslighting you and they just need to shut up. And in the other sense, it can be this, it will take time, but me unraveling concert seasons from, for the next 10 years, it, it's going to take time. It takes time to show trends. It takes time to, to really assess data. It, I mean, I, so I think I've bless you. I think I've had kind of the most conflict with this one, but that's where I kind of stand on it, but it's frustrating nonetheless. And I think also the perspective needs to be that 
when we when we say this is going to take some time, when somebody says this is going to take some time, they might be thinking, oh, there is a moment in time when everything is going to be fixed and we just need to wait for that time. And I, I think that's a false perspective to have. Um, this is a this is a movement. I don't think we're ever going to erase prejudice, uh, erase racism, erase sexism um, in our society. That is always always going to be present and that is endemic to what we do. But it's the it's the movement forward that we need to get as many p- people on board with is what we're talking about. That that momentum and movement forward um, of people who be- believe in equity, who believe in treating other people with love and care specific to the identities that they represent um, is where we're going with this. And so it's not it's not a moment that we're shooting for. It's a movement forward, I think. It, it's up. Uh- if you know, like it's also interesting too. This whole thing is a weird, a weird thing because I, I think once you think about diversity, equity, inclusion, and act and access, once you think about that, it's like there's people actually that feel like they don't fit into that tapestry because, like, well, I, you know, I'm just I've been part of the majority voice. We're we're actually, if you dig deeper into that, like everyone is part of it. We just need to unpack how we all relate to it and what's our relationship. But it's interesting, like when we're like, no, it's got to happen now. Or if, if someone is, if, if you're a polarizing voice on this, you alienate people that could otherwise be helpful to making this happen, which is, it's a double-edged sword because like, of co- it seems like no brainer nonsense. Like we can also on this call and say like, we've all heard those things, but then there's someone that's like, well, that's just the, be- that's just the best thing I had. Like there were people after the TBA clinic that came up and were like, that when they asked questions, it was like, well... I want to be respectful to my student, but I like if, if you don't want me to call them gender bias pronouns, like if you don't want me to say, hey guys, or or if you want, like, what do you say? And it's like, well, you could call them friends. You could say like, hey gang, hey team. And they're like, oh, they just never thought of that. Yeah. And I'm not trying to cut anyone bail. Like, b- believe me, I'm not trying to cut anyone bail here, but it's just, I don't know. I'm trying to be considerate, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I find myself going to some of these concerts now well i have a long-standing uh revolt against symphony orchestras um and piano concertos specifically because like every concert i see always has a piano concerto or a violin concerto or none of this i'm like can i get a bassoon let me get a tuba maybe a I loved viola. Let me get a viola, like something other than a piano concerto. So when there's a piano concerto, I kindly excuse myself to the bar. And then I come back after and see the finale. But it's like when I go to these concerts now and see these band concerts and see these directors, instead of boasting like they're all bands having a concert in the middle of marching band season, because I still view that as a good feat. I think that's good teaching. First of all, you should be pushing your inside program as much as your outside program. But they're like, oh, and we're playing four Scottish dances. We're playing, uh, what's that song that uh, Vandergriff premiered, Anthony? Carabana. Carabana, and we're playing this, we're playing that. I'm like, how about all your bands are playing good repertoire? And it's not just this concert. It's your December concert. It's your pre-LGPE concert. It's your spring concert. Then following the next year, it's this concert. But when I see that your fall concert is all like, good new stuff that people are wanting to see. And then your LGPE concert comes up and it's transcriptions again. I'm like, we both see the list. 
I see everything on this list. You do too. This is like, that's my true colors. Like within one school year, you can see what they actually view as important music is what they put on the OGPE list and that concert. But the first concert and the last concert are fun concerts. And that's where you see the diverse composers, at least in the, my area that I look at, is we see them on the first concert and last concert and not on the LGPE concert. And then we look at the list and it is scarce, but you can find it. You have to go look for it and not just rely on what's on what you can teach, what's already in your tool bag. Like, oh, I know I can teach Dusk by Stephen Bryant. So I'm going to do Dusk again because I know exactly how to teach it. How would you push yourself while you're pushing your students? I rest my case. I will have to say we are pretty good. Michael's, we're pretty far on the spectrum of the whole walking out during piano concerto. But in general, we balance each other out pretty well with being understanding of people who may not under, like who may not understand things or may not see things the way we do because we always talk about perspective and how perspective is so significant when it comes to conversations like this. And that points me back to the conversation I feel like we have every single week on here, which it like talks about like who's in the room, who has who is in positions of power to change those things because when we talk about doing uh, sustainable and impactful like programming that for DEI initiatives and things like that, that's something that to maybe all of us on this call, we don't have to think one second about. I can write you out about five different uh, flute recital programs right now that would in general be like, wow, this is like crazy in terms of like this has, it feels like it's gonna be something that has is representative of a lot of different cultures and, and perspectives and ideas without me even having to think about well, I have to have a black composer, an LGBTQ composer, and no, it's just stuff that's off, it's cuff. It's because it's something that's constantly going through my mind. And that's my biggest issue when it comes to this conversation is that it's like, well, they're learning about it. It's like, well, maybe they shouldn't be the, maybe we should get other people who are from that perspective in those rooms too, who may be doing a mentorship program, doing these initiatives are not gonna be a thing where they're checking off a box is something like, oh, that's easy for me because I'm from that perspective. So no, it would not be checking off a box. It's more like breathing in that sense. And I think that's the biggest issue is that these uh, institutions, organizations, and artists who were seeing release these statements saying like, uh, no, 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 we believe this, this, and this, and this, and this. It was like, well, like, okay, but then when they try to do, you're right, their knee-jerk reactions, they don't even understand maybe what they're doing. And uh -huh. so maybe take a step back, bring in someone who does know this. The DEI consulting is becoming a really big thing now. And um, and so you can bring in people or, or in your hiring processes, when did we talk about this, like two weeks ago? In your hiring processes, hire people who are going to be from different perspectives because you will get this naturally. That is the whole perspective. That's the whole point of hiring a diverse staff is because you have multiple perspectives throughout your entire staff. So then when you have new programming, new initiatives, you're getting perspectives like completely different. If you have the same type of person, you know what I'm saying? If you have the same type of person on all your boards on all your like the, the big places that are deciding the things, then why would you expect for your programming to actually be diverse? Make it make sense. I digress. You cannot. <laughs> Go off. Go yeah. off again. You did. Good job. Mm-hmm. There it is. <laughs> There it is. But but uh, for real, for real, it, I think all of our conversations that, that we have from our perspective as minority um, uh, uh, people, 
it's so second nature for us because we have had to go through this. And I, I always have to like, I guess, take my real glasses off and put, you know, some type of lens on, on my real glasses to realize, okay, people that did not, you know, live my experience, sometimes they truly do not know. But it, it is the tone. It is, do I really believe that they are really going to listen to what I have to say? Sometimes it is yes. And those people, they have made those changes. And I, I love, love, love seeing that. Um, but I've also met people where they they would ask, and but you know, the words that are coming out of, out of your mouth will hit and stop right at your nose because it ain't going nowhere else for them to receive and to really think about that information. And for those people, and I just want to make this clear, when we are talking general on this podcast, we are talking to those people, okay? Not the ones who truly want to learn. Because mm -hmm. okay? the ones who truly want to learn, we love you. We love that you are trying, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But the ones that are, that are, it's 2022 and we still have this 1965 mindset, that's a problem. There is the issue in which it's so unfortunate that our field of music uh, is still dealing with this. You know, people always outside of music say music is such, you know, progressive and so just, you know, moving in the right direction. Well, as from a minority perspective, I truly, I see some things, but I wish it was a lot better. I wish it was a lot better. Um, and I have one question for, for you two um, that I that could be added if y'all want to do a, a little add to a myth and bust it if you would like. Um, but I've heard this. Um, a teacher who is um, white, their population of student is white. Um, and, you know, we talk about culturally responsive education and, and music choices, diverse. And the question would be, well, my population is white. So what am I being diverse for? What would be the, the busted myth for that? I, I got one lined up, Chris. You, yeah, yeah you, you look like you got something to say. Well, uh, so our job as educators, uh, in my opinion, my humble opinion, our job as educators is not only to reinforce what our students already know, but to expose them to things they are like unaware of or expose them to different cultures and make them less so than give a, a you know, you know, this is how you play F, F to E, even fingers here, less so than that, or more so than that, I should say, sorry, is, is to make them musical citizens. That's just my, and I can't map that on anyone else, but like my, I think most most band directors most teachers would be happy if their student walked out of their classroom with a love for music i i would i'd kind of be willing to put that put that on on money somewhere like if, if you just walked out with a love for music but my question to them it's a very leading question um is if you are only giving students you know if you're only giving students something they know how are you pushing them to love something else so that's number one and then number two, I would unpack a bias that that happens in most state lists. The the book, the Horizon Leans Forward, the one like the Eric Long and like the that they compiled that one that changed my game up because like when you read that last chapter, 
that talks about diversity and composition. And if you unpack like different state lists where it's like, okay, how are these pieces constructed? Melody, harmony, melody, harmony, melody, harmony. But then there's composers and there could be students in your band that are like just really drawn to texture or they may just really be drawn to, you know, to, to something else other than just American folk songs that are arranged for. And like, look, I got no knock for American folk songs because like, I programmed them in my day. But also we have a responsibility as educators to expose our students to something new and something different. Um, so, and also, again, that's a knee-jerk judgment to say that, you know, my students are all, my students are all white. So what do I do diversity for? Well, have you looked at like the income ratios of, or the income like of their students? Have you looked at, and, and even that's mildly reductionist. Have you looked at the family backgrounds of them? Are they all from the same heritage of, of, of white or, or is it some, uh, is that possible to find out is there is there deeper information than just here's what I see in front of my face um, because that's like we just talked about earlier that's just judging and objectifying your students and I would venture to say it's just kind of not being a good student yourself because then you're like well you know I'm, I'm good I'm good with what I got I got this stable there am I here in my toolbox here I'm good with that no I, I think you should push yourself as an educator and I know our time is precious but it's like you should push yourself to learn something something deeper than what you already know. I think that should be the point of education. I don't know. That's just, you know. <laughs> that question is something that has been brought up to me a lot in my conversations with a lot of my colleagues and, and classmates. Um, when teachers do teach in racially homogenous um situations where also their race is a reflection of the students that they that they teach and I, one of the big points that we make in our clinic is about how if you if you're boiling everything down to just race which race is a really like really salient um, um issue but it's the most um obvious because it's physical and it's socially born like you can actually see it in front of your eyes but it's the identity characteristics that you uh that aren't tangible and physically seen um, that need to be considered. Um, everybody comes from a specific background and experience unique to them. And with that, there are specific uh, burdens that are attached to those identifying characteristics that teachers should be aware of. Uh, we talk about intersectionality a little bit in the in the talk and it's the overlapping identities and the specific burdens that are um, that are attached to those. You know, your white student who um, is a, in a part of the LGBTQ population is going to have a specific burden different from a white student who is also straight or heteronormative. Um, and so, the, that type of awareness and critical consciousness. It's not something that we're all born with. It's something that we learn through um, just good conversations with other people who think differently than us and um, conversations and exposure to people who look and think different than us. Um, that critical consciousness to that teacher that you're talking about, I would say, how aware are you to the differing identity characteristics and identity backgrounds um, that your your students have and are you building it an environment where they're where they feel comfortable being their whole selves and being comfortable sharing those types of identity characteristics because um 
If not, then you're probably creating a very uncomfortable and borderline dangerous learning environment for your students. Sure is. Uh huh. It, both of you hit it right on the nail. Right on the nail. Um, because that that is definitely something that that went through my head, and I'm I'm so glad that both of you you know brought up that there is more than just race and color um, that goes into diversity. Because um, I think now with the whole dilution of everything, it is kind of become synonymous with that, but there are other things um, that we that is under being diverse. So I'm so glad that y'all are gonna talk about that at Midwest and I cannot wait until that day. Can you just tell everyone what, uh, when is it? What time, where is it gonna be? If you know that information already. So, you know, so we can blast it out for you. Well, let me pull that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a curveball. I know it's Monday. I think. Yeah, Monday five thirty p.m. Okay. Monday five thirty. And is that that's before the Navy Band? Yes, mm -hmm. that's correct. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be there. Um, Pull through. Pull through, everybody. Let's go. Exactly, everybody. Let's storm the McCormick Center <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> this session is going to be amazing. It really is. Didn't it LSU really is. just storm the field last night? Uh, yes. Probably <laughs> get another, what, like $25,000 fine for that? hundred? Well, yeah, wait, something wait, like did, that. Did they remove the goalposts? That's the question. No, they're, so they preemptively post security guards right at the uh, goalposts so that so, they don't pull so them out. So it's only 25000 25, <laughs> So everybody, let's storm the McCormick place. <laughs> On the McCormick place, everybody be at Don't hit me with that fine because you ain't getting that money. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. They're not Midwest. They got enough money. They do. They enough. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for, for joining us for such an amazing conversation. Uh, I am just, again, so happy that you two are really having this conversation from such a genuine um, place and we are going to follow you here at Relative Pitch behind you 110%. Um, so just let you know that we got you and we are always going to have you as well. So to everybody else, please go follow um, Weston and Chris below. They're gonna, their stuff is going to be down below. Please go follow them um, and don't miss the Midwest session. So until Midwest, we will see you later. Bye-bye, everybody.